welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Today's podcast is sponsored by Live Oak Bank. Live Oak Bank is a major player in the veterinary lending space. Their dedicated veterinary lending team knows what it takes to build a successful veterinary practice, whether that's buying an existing practice, remodeling a facility, or expanding your current practice. Live Oak Bank also values educating veterinary students about the intricacies and really exciting opportunities when it comes to practice ownership. Today on the podcast, I am so, so excited to welcome a huge leader, influencer, and entrepreneur in the veterinary profession, Dr. Danny McVitie. Dr. Danny is a graduate of the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine and really found her calling when she, along with Dr. Mary Gardner, established Lap of Love Veterinary Hospice and in-home euthanasia. The success of Lap of Love has grown exponentially since its start in 2009 and now has veterinarians on their team in over 30 states across the U.S. In addition to Lap of Love, Dr. Danny is also a speaker, an author, consultant, and a host for Pet Care TV. All in all, Dr. Danny holds a wealth of knowledge to share and has a truly incredible ability to motivate and energize people. So on today's podcast, Dr. Danny and I are going to do a rapid fire run through of several hot topics in veterinary school. So hold on to your seats for this one because it's going to be good. So let's get to it. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Danny. How's it going? Good, Seth. It's fantastic to be here. Good. I'm Thank you. thrilled and honored that uh, both you are in town to talk to Mizzou BBMA tonight and also to come uh, here afterwards and be on the podcast with me. So thank you. Of course, there's nowhere else I would rather be. This awesome. is perfect. Thank you. So my first question for you, I wanted to ask you to share your journey to vet school. How was vet school for you and what's happened since? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that my journey into vet school was probably very much like many of, of, of all of our colleagues, which was mm. there's really nothing more I wanted to ever be. I just wanted to be a veterinarian, just inspired by animals and loving them and loving the bond and loving what I imagined veterinary medicine was going to be like. So I am um, at, at that point in my life, getting into vet school was you know the hardest thing that you think is ever going to be facing you in your entire right, life. And right. of course, if I just get into vet school, my life will be perfect. I can't wait. And then you get into vet school and you think, oh my gosh, it's it's also staying in vet school that is right. very difficult. Um, so I graduated University of Florida um, College of Veterinary Medicine mm-hmm. in 2009 and um, did emergency medicine, had no idea what, what, what kind of path my career was going to take. But um, about three months out of school, I, um, I started Lap of Love Veterinary Hospice, strictly because I just really enjoyed the human-animal bond and mm-hmm. I enjoyed working with people. And anyone that's been in an emergency room knows that lots of different things come out of you know the, the emergency room right and people come in at two o'clock in the morning because the tapeworm's an emergency at right. that moment right. right and um i found myself the the doctor that the technician uh, technicians were grabbing if they needed a difficult case or when there was a euthanasia and something was crashing and burning in front of us they needed someone to talk to a family quickly and i loved it mm-hmm. i just really loved it so honestly it was just a side gig that i started lap of love just to help pay back student loans and to really serve the the people that I was meeting in right. a unique way. You know, it's different from someone coming in at, on Friday and they know their cat has renal failure, but their mom, dad, husband, wife, son, daughter get back on Sunday. And it's, can we please just keep them alive till Sunday until we can right. euthanize them? Right. So what, with starting lap of love, what was your 
kind of 300 foot view of that right when you started it. Did you imagine where it would be today? I had no idea. I was I was literally three months out of school when I had my first client. So, you mm-hmm. know, just a, a month or two out of school is when I had this idea and it started formulating. I mean, I, literally the day that I walked across that stage and, and, and grabbed my diploma, I had no idea what my life was going to be. And I think so many of us go through that because getting through vet school ends up being the most important thing. And just, literally just walking across that stage with that degree is the last and, and, and final finish line that you right. have spent your entire life getting to. Right. But what's going to happen afterwards? I, I had no idea. I didn't no idea I was be sitting in front of you talking right. at all. <laughs> right. That's awesome. So I know that you spend a lot of time speaking to vet students, going to vet schools, conferences and the like. What have you noticed that is different from when you were in vet school, when you graduated in 09, to what you're seeing in vet schools today. Is there any major differences or similarities you're seeing? Yeah, I, no, absolutely. There's there's a lot of differences. And really, I think one of the things that inspires me the most to keep going is to share with the veterinary students the fact that the world is very, very different today than it was even eight years ago when I graduated and mm. vastly different from the generations ago that, uh, you know, the, when the professors that are now teaching us when they graduated. Right. So we don't have to be slugged into the same exact slot that our professors were telling us because that's, that that's their reality, but that's not our reality. Literally when I graduated in 2009, there were five applicants for every job posting that wow. was out. Wow. And that was right when the, the market crash was kind of trickling into that higher income professions. Right. And we, we, I didn't get the first job that I wanted. You know, I had to kind of fight for those jobs in a way. And so I decided to create my own job. You know, right. that's what kind of came right. up, came of this. But now there are five jobs for every one applicant. So now it's it's not you, you know, proving your worth to a potential employer. It's the potential employer right. improving right. their worth and trying to get you there. So we have to remember what a vastly different world it is, is even just eight years ago. So instead of being, you know, very um, uh, kind of down on the profession or we have stu- too much student debt or, you know, we have too much corporatization or anything like this, like we can really look and see the, the field for what it is, which is wide open. Right. And I mean, wide open. Anything is possible. Right. But that was a, it's a good lead into my next question for you, which is, and and we've talked a lot about this or I've heard you talk a lot about it in, in, in your talks, is where the profession's going. And like you just said, there's a lot of, I would say negative energy in terms of the debt to income ratio, the low starting salary, mm-hmm. uh, poor work-life balance, wellness problems. Mm-hmm. It seems like people are like, why are you going to be a veterinarian? There's so much mm-hmm. negativity. I mean, yeah, you get to go play with puppy dogs all day. I mean, that's great. Obviously. But, right. Um, right. That's why I did it. <laughs> but what what do you say to the to those people? And what do you say to that statement that 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 the veterinary lifestyle, the veterinary profession is not what it's cracked up to be. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a fantastic question. And and, and, and I, I think that the important thing is to not belittle any of those statements that you just said. Mm-hmm. Do we have a low starting salary? Yes. Do we have a um, high student debt? Yes. Do we have a wellness problem? Yes. Do we have a, you know, we can go on and on and on and on about right. this stuff. But my w- one thing that I would love for our entire profession to realize is that those problems are smaller today compared to the opportunities that exist. Hmm. So they don't not exist, they're just a smaller percentage of the actual potential that exists. Right. So instead of like mitigating debt, instead of um, you know trying to, to, to not have uh, depression in, in the profession anymore, 
Why don't we look at the fact that we have so much potential in front of us? The the market for veterinary practices and the market for um, pet services and all, they just keep growing. They're not going right. away. Right. Why do you think all these corporatizations are, are literally just infusing money in the pet industry? Because it's one of the safest bets that they have. Hmm. We are, veterinarians are one of the hottest commodities in the, in the entire pet space right now. Right. Because of the, the, the perspective that we have with uh, consumers. You know, and I'll go talk to an entire room full of people that are in just the pet space. So people that are just trying to sell um, products to um, veterinarians. Mm-hmm. And they all say, we, we don't hear this part, but they're telling us this. They all say, my clients won't do it unless my veterinarian says that it's the best thing. So hmm. them, marketing people, are trying to come to us veterinarians and say, how do I get in front of you to sell my product? You hmm. know, I'm making a, a, a supplement out of, I don't know, deer antlers or something like that. And right. it's a fantastic product and yada, yada. And so one of my messages back to them is we are scientists. So you can't always come to us and say, sell my product because you're going to make medicine, but you have to come to us as veterinarians and say, sell my product because it's going to make people's and pets lives better. Right. You know, it's a different why we have a different why than, than, than everybody else. But there, there is a huge, huge opportunity. I think for us to kind of turn our backs away from, that doesn't mean we're ignoring. Okay. But it means we need to turn towards the things, the opportunities that are existing that haven't existed in the in the past. But there are businesses that will exist, you know, in, in one year, in five years, in ten years that do not exist today. Right. I can't right. tell you how many people told me you can't make a, a business out of death. Right. You can't make a business out of going and doing that. You're going to be depressed, and no one will no one will do this. Well, a few months Watch after me. I started, I right. was obvious that right. <laughs> that was not exactly the case. Right. Uh, so then, what can the millennial generation do, which is, I I don't even know when the millennial generation ends and when the next one begins, but we're right. going to be graduating millennials for quite a while. Yep, you're right. What can we do as new veterinarians, new graduates to take the profession to the next level? The thing I've always pondered, not always, but the last several years is I've, I've seen the market research about how much people will spend on their dog's Halloween costume mm. and how much they'll spend on... Um, Blue Buffalo's top of the line, $100 per for 10 pound mm-hmm. of food. But they're reluctant to go to the veterinarian. Mm-hmm. How can we take more of the market share of that? Because we know that people love their pets. They're loving them more and more every day. Like you said today, they're inviting them under the sheets in bed now, right. um, which right. decades ago, they weren't even in the house. What can millennials do, or, or new, new veterans, not even yeah. if you're not a millennial, what can we do to to encourage people to take the best care of their pet as they can and what can us the veterinarian do to influence them to to make that happen yeah and i think this is actually a really simple answer and i mm-hmm. think it's a fantastic question also because we have to remember that as new veterinarians we are not selling medicine right our clients do not come into our doors to buy medicine they come into our doors to, to support the human animal bond that they have with their pet. And the guy that has a farm dog in the back of his truck has a different bond than the woman that has a Yorkie in the purse. Right. It's not better or worse at all. It's just simply different. And the guy, you know, one person may want to, to be doing all of the treatment, the oncology visits and the immunological you know, studies. And somebody may want to do that and someone else may not want to do that. But for us millennial veterinarians, we've got to accept the fact that we are there to support the bond that someone has with their pet. Mm-hmm. Not the bond that I have with my pet and then place those judgments and those rules on you, my client, 
but really do the very best medicine so that that person feels connected with their pet. Because if we if we honor that bond in the way that they see that bond, mm-hmm. then they're going to continue to come back to us again and again and again and not trust a 15-year-old kid that's selling them a bag of dog food right. over the veterinarian. Great. And, and that kind of leads me to this other thought, which we briefly talked about this before, before we started recording, which is that we've seen that the veterinary space is always a few years behind the human medical mm-hmm. space, mm-hmm. both in let's just say technology, in services provided, in financial prosperity. And I, I think I'm more putting this question towards the, 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 the salary of our starting veterinarians and, and kind of the financial trajectory that we have in the profession. What can we do to change that? Why, why isn't the two professions kind of on the same level? We're both, we're both practicing medicine. Right. One patient has two legs, one has four. Right. What's the deal? When when one profession you know sees more species and one sees right. only one species, right? Yeah, it, it, it's different, and I don't think there's a, a a super just direct answer to that question, you know. Mm-hmm. But I do have one strong opinion on it. Is of course I'm not um, at, at remiss for any opinions at this point, right. <laughs> you know. But I, I, I to me it starts with us, right? Mm-hmm. It starts with us as veterinarians looking at um, at the people that come into our doors and saying. Thank you for coming to see us. Thank you for bringing your pet. We are doing the very best that we know how to do. This is the the absolute best medicine. You know, we do thirty plus hours of CE every year. You know, whatever right. it is, like we can defend what we're what we're doing and defend the prices and not being drugged down by the um, the consumers out there that are expecting something a little bit less. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that don't go to the dentist. They just don't, and they will complain the dentist is is too much. But you have the people that go to the dentist and people that don't go to the dentist. Right. You know, there's just there's there's a dichotomy that forms, and that's okay in veterinary medicine that we have the people that go to the the higher cost clinics because they get the higher service and they want the best medicine. I mean, I listen. I don't know about you. I don't want a bargain brain surgeon. Right. I just don't. I want the brain surgeon behind my kid's skull that has a red Ferrari in the parking lot. Right. Because I imagine that he keeps it clean and that it's a nice car and that he also keeps his OR clean and that he's going to keep my kid's brain clean. Right. right. Like that's what we expect. So when, you know, if, if you were to walk in and expect a bargain brain surgeon, like that's just not going to be the type of, of service that you may want for your own child. Right. Now, maybe somebody does. Right. Maybe maybe there is a market for that, a market for a less expensive pediatrician. Right. But that is going to be a different subset of the market. Than, a, than than the opposite, which is high cost and high service. Right. And, that, and, and and honestly, I really feel strongly that that's okay. There's nothing wrong. I honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with the $15 vaccine shop, you know, clinics on the side of the road. There's right. and, and of course, our profession hated that at the beginning. Right. But then as it evolved, there's a lot of veterinarians that are saying, wow, I'm not doing that many of these particular vaccines anymore. Or I'm not doing spays and neuters as much anymore. Now what we've done is we've made space for more integrated medicine and higher quality medicine. And mm-hmm. the clinic that I actually bring my own dogs to, because I do end of life care, you know, it's the clinic I bring my own dogs to in, in Tampa, Florida, rebranded themselves with Ehrlich Animal Hospital um, Arthritis and Rehabilitation Center. Hmm. They are they added Arthritis and Rehab Center. Like it's, that's a way that they have continued to evolve, you know, their their practice. Right. So as we figure that out also, it's going to elevate the entire experience that people have at veterinary clinics. And we don't even have to defend the prices anymore. It's going to be um, defendable simply by the the, the, the the value that we bring to people. Right. And, and what really resonates with me when you, when you speak about that is that I feel like when we're in school, even before veterinary school, we're kind of thinking that as veterinarians, we need to see everybody that has a pet. Mm-hmm. And there is no difference in the people that are 
looking for a high volume, low cost type of clinic versus the one on the opposite side, which is uh, higher prices, more intimate, much higher level of, uh, of client service, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm realizing is that you can't be that you can't be one person to everybody that you need to figure out what niche you want to get into. And it's OK to not do both. Yeah. And, and you, and you do between. it. Absolutely. And you do it and you, you do it your very, very best. Right. And you and, and you don't have to be the steakhouse. Right. That has the client complaining that you don't have hamburgers for two dollars like McDonald's does. You don't go to that steakhouse and expect that. Like it's it's okay. There's there's really nothing wrong with that. But we do have to realize that and and then honor that within ourselves and the consumers as well. Sure. Going back to what you said about businesses that will exist in five, 10, 15 years from now that don't exist today. Mm -hmm. Let's just hypothesize for a second. Where do you see the veterinary space going? Okay, so you're just going to roll with me because I can go through these ideas. I, and, and I'm com- just completely throwing these out. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I feel very lucky that I found my niche. Right. So, um, you know, when people ask me some of those questions, I'm like, gosh, I have no idea, but here's some ideas. You know, I yeah. mean, the, 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 the bond that people have with their pets is going to be so integrated. I can't literally get on a plane now without there being at least three or four dogs on the plane. Right. I mean, there's going to be um, services that are able to transport these pets more efficiently and more lovingly. And there's going to be um, uh, restaurants that have, you know, the capability of having animals in them. And basically, how, how, how can you imagine integrating your animal, your pet into your life? And what does that look like in different mm-hmm. ways? And look at doggy daycare and the boutiques and stuff. I mean, there's probably probably more pet boutiques than there are human children right. boutiques. Right. Um, gyms that are allowing the pets to come in then. Um, I mean, the services that someone's going to come to your home and do the technician care that your doctor may not be able to do, but you don't want your dog to stay at the hospital anymore. You know, you want them to come home. So someone's going to be doing home care with, right. I mean, I could kind of go on and on and on, but however, however our pets are being integrated into our lives, that's just going to, it's just, it's going to continue. Sure. For sure. What do you say to those, those young veterinary students, young veterinarians that have these seemingly crazy ideas out of left field, mm-hmm. Do you have any words for encouragement in terms of just stepping off that diving board and going for it? Yeah, and I think one of the one of the more important things that I was just blessed enough to just kind of know, I, I think maybe from my younger days, I don't know, is that I did not ask a lot of people for their opinion. I just didn't. Because I feel like when you ask too many people for their opinion, you end up being a mosaic of everyone else's ideas mm-hmm. and you lose that really core value. A, a niche practice is a core valued practice right it is you do one thing like the ceo of you know domino's said years ago i bring it we make a pizza we bring it to your door right. make a pizza bring it to your door you can't just get so diversified that you're not at your core anymore look at starbucks a few years ago right they shut down every single starbucks because they were gonna they're going back to their core we're gonna make coffee better than anybody and we're gonna provide a environment around that coffee right so they gave up billions of dollars probably i don't know how much money by setting their coffee stores down to learn how to make coffee Right. So if you can't just become an, a mosaic of everyone else's ideas and and then also not actually do it. Right. And uh, 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 some type of activity that um, that you really love doing, but that does not actually bring in revenue that nobody's going to pay for. That's called a hobby. Right. It's not called a business. You know, Touché. that's called a hobby. Right. So you can do something and you can you can invest in your time and money for a very long time before you make revenue. But um, another friend of mine asked me a little bit ago, she goes, 
you know, Danny, um, I'm, I really want to start writing a little bit. I just enjoy writing and maybe it could be a kind of a part-time revenue stream for me. And, and she goes, how much do the, the magazines pay you to write an article? And I, and I told her, you know, not, not a bunch. Mm-hmm. And she, um, and I told her, I said, you know, but if I were you, I'd probably do it at no charge for a little bit until you kind of gain your brand and gain an awareness of what the, what it is. And she said, yeah, but my time is worthwhile. I'm not going to give it away for free. And she's correct, right, in, in her world. But to, to me, I the way that I approach it, even coming to the veterinary schools and, and talking, you know, um, my time is is worth more, quote unquote, at the business. But the relationships that we build in the vet school, it is worth every single every single moment that I have to spend away from the company that I right. give up to, to do this. It's worth it because we build relationships. We build brand awareness. We build um, you know, I had another executive say to me earlier today, oh, so you're going to go uh, recruit the schools. I'm like, no. No, we, we build relationships. Right. Recruiting is evidence that we've built a good relationship. And even if not, I know my business model well enough to know referrals from veterinarians are very important to our business. Over 50% of our families t- come to us through the regular veterinarians. Right. So when you, Seth, graduate, you're going to go into a clinic if you're not working with me. Right. <laughs> you'll be going into a clinic and you'll see a lap of love business card on, on the table and you're going to say, oh, they, they came and spoke with us. They told us you know, that that school is going to be okay and you're going to make it through. Right. So there's just an awareness of that. But, you know, when you think about what your end result is, your, is your end result that you want to make a difference, then whether or not you spend 20 or 30 minutes investing in yourself and you don't get paid for that to get an article out, to push another tweet, to put an inspirational time, you know, an inspirational quote out, then that's a great return on your time investment. And you don't have to think that every single moment you're going to get actually paid back for it at that time. Right. You may be just putting it in escrow for later on. Absolutely. And speaking more about personal value and mm-hmm. how we develop our own brand, how we see value in ourselves. And I'm, I'm asking this to you, I think mainly as a business owner, mm-hmm. and I'm looking for advice or getting advice for the vet student community about how can we show the value in ourselves when we're looking for that first job. And yeah. I think on the flip side is what are you looking for? when you're hiring, say, a new veterinary or even a seasoned vet? Mm-hmm. No, that's a, a, such an important question. So when I first graduated as, and I was an employee, you know, you walk into the into the, um, the, the workplace and you think, listen, I'm, I'm valuable. I'm worth this. I'm going to ask a really big salary and I'm going to, you know, I'm, trust me, I'm, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. Mm-hmm. But at, at the end of the day, the employer is sitting there, you know, on a, a, a lot of debt for their business and trying to manage everyone's salaries and everyone's schedules and Everyone's emotions also. As a business owner, you have to manage, you literally become a therapist many of the times because right. people are now telling you why they're late and telling you why they need an advancement on the paycheck and they're telling all these things, you know? But so as, as, as an employee, I thought that it was the my employer's job to pay me what I'm worth, mm-hmm. right? I, I did, I had that mentality at that time. Meaning if you just pay me more, I will show you. But what I started realizing, particularly when I um, come back on that and became an employer, that you're saying as an employer, look, I don't have time to to do all these tiny little ideas. I don't have time to implement all these things. I want you, team member, to show me that you're valuable. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to make that an immediate investment because I've already made an investment in you by hiring you. Right. So the, I actually I just talked to another student about this later on um, earlier this evening. And I said, you know, if, if it were me, if I had to do it all over again right now, if I was graduating this moment, I would realize that number one, you're in one of the best positions that veterinary students have ever been in in our industry right mm-hmm. now. Just let set the set the debt aside, okay? That's going to be there, right. fine. But you're in a very good position right now. Go into a practice and say something like this, Doc. Here's what I think I'm worth: two hundred thousand dollars, right? Whatever it is, right. right? Here's what I think I'm worth. 
I understand that you don't know that yet. I, I get that. So can we reevaluate this? I'm, I'm going to accept your salary offer. Can we reevaluate in six, eight, 10, 12 months, whatever makes sense to you? And I would like to take this time between now and then to, to show you. But can we, do I have, you know, can, can we make sure that we're going to reevaluate this at that time? And then you can decide. Now, one or two things is going to happen. You're going to spend all that time investing in yourself and the projects that you want to do. And at the end of that six, eight, 10 months, then the doctor is either going to, um, you know, see that you're of value and decide to keep you at the price that you're asking because you've added that value. Mm-hmm. Or he's going to see the value and, and, and maybe, I'm just assuming we've actually done it right, right? Right, right. You know, but is, then he's going to see the value but not want to compensate for you. And then you get to decide whether or not you want to stay at that practice or go somewhere else. But it's not this angry, you know, well, you don't see my value, yada, yada. No, it's just, hey, that great lesson, fantastic lesson. Now let's move to the, another stepping stone. You just, you're just getting that energy back at you. Right. But, um, you know, the, when, and, and, and really at the end of the day, you, the months that you've taken to get there, you've started exercising those muscles within you about doing the right thing. I'm going to apply myself because it's, because I want to apply myself, not because I'm going to get a bigger paycheck from it. Right. I'm, it just, it's just this just a way of thinking and a pattern of moving and a pattern of behaving that has you be your best at all times, but you're doing it for you. You're not doing it for somebody else. Sure. Definitely. We're going to take a quick break and give a shout out to today's sponsor, Live Oak Bank. The team at Live Oak Bank work with devoted veterinarians every day and really understand what it takes for a practice to grow and succeed. They have a dedicated veterinary lending team that has over 50 years of combined experience that uniquely positions them to help veterinarians achieve new levels of growth. So whether you seek financing for real estate, ground up construction, remodels, expansions, acquisitions or refinance, Their team will guide you through the lending process with knowledge and experience. Their online loan application really simplifies the process through funding, so applicants know what's going to be happening through every step. Learn more online at liveoakbank.com slash vet. Live Oak Bank is an amazing company and is truly an advocate for veterinary students and the veterinary profession. Let's switch gears for a second. Okay. And... Talk a little bit about wellness, because that's one of the big hot topics in vet med, as you know. Um, I'm curious to know kind of your thoughts on how we keep ourselves at our best in this very emotionally taxing profession. I know that with with your company and your industry of euthanasia, that can be quite taxing, I would imagine. Mm. Um, And how do those emotions that you and your colleagues deal with kind of apply to the veterinary school area and and feel free to share any stories or or experiences you had in your own vet school career Mm -hmm. that may help us again be a a better self yeah yeah i know absolutely and 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 of all the schools that i've been to i will generally ask them and i asked this quite a few times at the beginning um how many of of you guys have graduated um, having actually euthanized a pet, you know, during mm-hmm. your time, seventy-five percent of students have not euthanized a pet in school, so mm-hmm. they graduate without ever actually doing that. Right. I pushed that plunger one time when I was in school, and it was in a, a foal of all things, you know. And the right. doctor was like, "Here you go, just give it to him." And it, it was just—it's it, a very, very scary experience for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think the one thing that that we're lacking in veterinary school that that's definitely gaining momentum now is that education on end of life care. 
And I had one lecture by a PhD in school about compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. But this is coming from somebody that had never actually pushed a plunger on a pet, never delivered life-ending medication. So until you get that straight in your own brain, you know, how you handle it, how you handle your own emotions, how you handle it when you cry, are you going to berate yourself because you've cried and I shouldn't be crying, you know? Right. Speaking of which, I have two, two rules with emotions in clients um, when it comes to euthanasia particularly is don't outdo the client. Number one, so don't be crying and they're not, you right. know, and then remain in control. Mm-hmm. And as long as that's the case, the the, the cases where um, myself personally and then, of course, my colleagues share emotions and actually have a tear down, that goes so long. Mm-hmm. It just goes really far. So it's nothing we should ever be worried about with with um, with families at all. Um, but, you know, having having that experience and standing up for your own experience in veterinary school would be probably one of the best investments that you can make. Now, when you get out of school, you know, all the doctors that work with with us will always say this phrase. And I know what it is now because they'll say, Danny, this is going to sound really weird, but I know it's coming. I really enjoy euthanasia or I'm really good at it or I found mm-hmm. a lot of fulfillment from it. And I guess this question all the time of how do I, you know, as 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 part of the, the leadership with Lap of Love, you know, how do I help? elevate that negative association that everyone assumes our doctors have to something that's normal. Then my response is always, we aren't normal. The doctors that do end of life care aren't normal. We're the ones that are are already elevated. Mm -hmm. We're at the top and we're kind of saying to the rest of our profession, it's okay. You can take pride in this. We're the only medical profession licensed to take a life. We should be doing this with pride. We shouldn't be treating euthanasia as a failure of medicine. It's not. So for, for us and the, the team that I'm honored enough to work with, they get fulfillment from what we do. And fulfillment is a feeling. Right. It's not a degree. It's not a job. It's not a spouse. It's not a, a, a child. It's not a divorce. You know, fulfillment is literally just a feeling that you get when you're on purpose and, and in, you know, quote, flow with your life. And that is what I hope and pray every veterinary student finds at some point, because a lot of times I know you're just trying to survive veterinary school, but then when you get out, you know, find that thing. And I, at first I was very worried about just doing end of life care because I thought I was going to you know, lose all my ER and GP kind of skills and all the education I spent so long learning. Right. But I realized that I can always go back to it and you can, I can pick up a book and learn anything again because it's all still there in my brain. Um, but I also found that I, I just, I get so much fulfillment from what I do. And, and I, I imagine if you ask any, anybody that works with me, you know, they would say the exact same thing, right? But we have, you have got to ask ourselves, like, it's such a simple question, but just ask yourself, are you happy? Are you happy? It's a, it's so simple. Right. If the answer is no, then understand that sometimes you're going to be pushed away from things you don't like more than you're pulled towards things that you do like. You may not know what the heck you like. You have no idea, right? You're just looking at this open field and you just have a degree in your hand. You have no idea what you're going to do. I didn't. That was literally me. I had no idea. But I kept taking the next step away from the things that I didn't love. Like, I don't love dermatology. I'm just not, I'm just not great at it, you know? Right. And so I'm taking a step, a step away from there. And then I'm not, I'm not super good at, I don't know, immunology or something like that. You know, take a step away from there. And then you find the areas of opportunity that are still in front of you as being really great opportunities. And you just right. get to keep walking. Right. And I also wonder, too, why we've seen, at least from what the AVMA um, economics team has put out recently, about the stat that over half of new graduate veterinarians, when asked, would you do it again? Mm-hmm. Vet school. Mm-hmm. The majority of them would either say no or maybe. Right. That is alarming to me. Right. 
shocking, obviously, and I don't really get it. Is it a matter of maybe they weren't in the right profession in the first place, which is perfectly fine. I'm glad they figured it out now rather than in 30 years. Or is it something that the veterinary profession is doing? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I could I could be wrong on this. Okay, I could be mm-hmm. wrong, but in my opinion, I think that it is um, it it's something that's kind of trickling down into the years right now. That you know, I graduated eight years ago, and the market looks completely different right. eight years ago than it did today. So then, the people that are either um, either uh, you know my age, eight years or more um, older than these students that are in school right now, graduating, we already have a negative view of the profession because I was told there were too many veterinarians when I graduated. Right. I didn't get the first job that I wanted, right? So that that consciousness, that, that level of thinking, that way of, of deciding has, I, in my opinion, kind of trickled down a bit. So basically, the new graduates are, are, are graduating right now, and they believe that they're facing a negative profession. Right. You actually believe that. But I'm telling you, it's not true. Right. It is not true. You guys are in such a fantastic you know, situation. But the problem is all the chatter around us has just been negative for a really long time. And then, of course, when, when the market does crash, right, as, as soon as the market crashes, it doesn't always trickle up into this, the, the, the actual you know, the professions yet. Right. But then it, it starts to and it trickles up and it trickles up and it gets louder and louder and louder. And then it just keeps getting louder, even though the market has actually just calmed down a little bit. Right. So now the chatter is still really loud about how negative everything is without us looking around and saying, holy crap, guys, it's pretty dang good out here. Right. It, there's, there's so much that so much is possible. And, and we just we forget that because we just like to listen to the negative, you know, ne- negative stuff sometimes instead of shifting that consciousness kind of towards a more positive aspect of, of what's in front of us. Right. And the one big pet peeve that I have kind of on that negativity topic is that people will always say, oh, you're going to be a veterinarian. You're not going to make any money. Mm-hmm. Well, I will. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. And that's right. just one example of this whole stigma about the profession. And in that specific example, there's money to be made, guys. I mean, Absolutely. It's just a matter of being innovative and which our generation is and seeing where the vending profession is going. Yeah, just and fine. there's but, a room to be just fine. Right. Yeah. You know, and one, one thing a lot of people say is like when they're in school, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea. I got in wanting to do, you know, so I could talk about that because I thought I was going to do equine medicine when I got in. And then I flip flap back, you know, a couple of times and, um, yeah, gosh, I mean, I, I grew up, I grew up with horses. So I got into vet school wanting to do equine medicine and, when I got kind of um, into the more didactic parts of, of, of the school, you know, just the strict lecture and everything, like that, I just found myself kind of drawn to the to the small animal part, knowing that I was going to grow up in, in Florida or you know, have my career in Florida, and that's a very difficult life outside if you right. want to just do that all the time. Um, but I, uh, I really kind of shifted into small animal medicine, but then when I went into clinics, I was like, oh my gosh, horses, that's, that's why I want to be a vet, and I right. switched it back to large animal but then when I graduated, I switched it back to small animal. And then I ended up doing, you know, emergency practice. And actually, I applied at a, a general practice in my hometown, a fantastic practice, you know, so well respected. And then he actually did give me a, a very good job offer, but it just didn't feel right. Sure. And I had a baby at the time. And so I actually had my, my first child between junior and senior year. We had a three month, you know, uh, break. And so we we actually planned it, you know, to have him right at the beginning of that of that break. Um, it was absolutely crazy at the time. It was just nuts that I did that. Uh, but uh, then um, I actually failed Navly the first time I took it mm-hmm. too. And then I took it again. And guess what? I passed, you know, as the vast majority of us will. Um, but then when I got out, it's, it's, I think it's so important to remember that, that 
every single step, like, I mean, literally every year, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea. And I flip-flopped a lot of times, but I just kept looking. I kept asking the question and the answer just evolved for me. So I ended up doing emergency medicine because I'm a a bit of an adrenaline junkie, you know, so that really kind of fit with me. I really liked the hours I could have time with my family. Um, and, uh, and, and I guess in a way, you know, I got to utilize a lot of the, the skills that I kind of learned and developed in, in school. And, and what I mean by that is I, um, I actually, um, so the last exam freshman year was nutrition mm-hmm. of all things. And I decided at two o'clock in the morning that I should start studying for nutrition. And I actually ended up failing that, 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 uh, test. And I had to repeat the second semester of my freshman year after that. So it took me five years to get through vet school mm-hmm. and not just four but every single day, even after you know starting the, of the first that first day of my second freshman year, you know every single day you have to fight through. I, I'm smart enough to be here. I'm good enough to be here. You know, and just like I said tonight at, at Mizzou, ninety percent of you won't be in the top ten percent of your class. Ninety percent. Right. You're already the cream of the crop. You've already judged yourselves on the numbers on people piece of paper for most of your entire life. But, but now you're not. Now you're, you've gotten through those gates. You're in the veterinary profession and everyone's around you sees that. I mean, how many times do you get like even now as a student, you know, hey, listen, a family friend calling and saying, you know, my dog is itching his ear. Right. What do I do? And you're like, I don't know. I don't haven't taken that class yet. Yeah. I'm not actually sure go what to do. <laughs> right. So you just go see a vet and, you know, but but it's they, they already see you as a vet. That's my right. point. Right? right. Like all your friends right. and family already see you as a veterinarian. So it's, you know, it's, it, it's okay to start treating yourself like that and not treating yourself anymore like the numbers on a piece of paper because right. it's a social and the creative intelligence that's going to develop all of that stuff. Right. And if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep getting what we're getting. So if we shift a little bit and just start looking at those creative and social ways of thinking outside the box, I think everyone's going to um, have a much more likely path of finding the things that, um, that are completely different. Right. And that's a really good segue into my last question for you to wrap all this up, which is for the people that are in the thick of vet school, be it in in their second year, their third year, if they're getting ready to graduate in, in a few months, that are just burnt out and they cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I guess especially for our first years that just started, that probably is going to come in the next few months or at least mm-hmm. after the first anatomy exam in a couple of weeks. Um, but what words of enthusiasm, and I'm partly acting this for me too, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, you know, what do we have to look forward to? I know that there's, there's a ton of it, but I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say in terms of the burnout and just the grind and yeah. all this negativity that we've, we've been hearing. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, you know, about gosh, about, about four years ago, right when I first started talking at schools and, you know, the, the students would come ask me and, and somebody came up to me at, at Tuskegee and she just had tears in her, in her eyes. And she's mm-hmm. like, I think I'm going to fail. And of course I get that. Right. And right. it's, it's, that's a path that I've been down and I just don't know how I'm going to continue on. If I, I swear, if I have to repeat this, I'm just going to drop out because there's no way I can do this again. And I, and I looked at her cause I didn't know what to say. I mean, my gosh, I don't always have the right words for these things. And I looked at her and, and the only thing that came to my mind was asking her why she wants to be a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And I said, why do you want to be a veterinarian? And she's like, because I love it. I love animals. And I was the only thing I ever wanted to do. And she just kind of went on and on. And I go, I stopped her and I go, that, that emotion that you just found when you, your, your eyes dilated and you looked off into the, you know, into the sky and you're like remembering why you want to be a veterinarian. That's what you tap into at three o'clock in the morning when you're reading pharmacodynamics of some drug that you really just don't care about. Right. right? right. Like you have to remember why and know that that you're trusted that that process years ago when you applied to get in you put in so much effort and even though you want to quit at that moment 
why do you want to walk across that that stage? Because I promise all of you, we are not in this negative culture at all. It is right. the the field is so wide open. And if you remember why you want to do this in the first place, it's going to get you through those long nights. And all of a sudden, you're not studying pharmacodynamics to study pharmacodynamics. Right. You're studying pharmacodynamics to become a veterinarian. Right. Which is what the whole point of this is anyway. Right. You know, so it ends up not being. Remember, remember when we were in like geometry in high school, you know, everyone's like, I'm not going to use this stuff. Right. Like, why am I studying this? I'm not going to use it. Same thing now. Right? It's not right. that much different. But you still have to get through it. You have to learn how to learn it. Right. Therefore, in eight years, nine years, if you need to learn something, you can go back to it and decide how to learn it. Right. So just that remembering that passion, that drive and whether or not that is the dream that's still alive for you. Which right. I think for most people it is. Trust me, after I failed Navli, because you know, got held back, pushed through four years of this, and then I failed Navli, one of like only one or two students in my whole class that, that failed. <laughs> I was like, screw it, I'm going to law school, like right. I'm dropping out. And remember my, my, my dad was like, No, no, you're not. Just let let it go. You know, right. it's gonna be fine. And and he was right. You know, you just have to stay focused and you don't make a decision in high emotions. You just stay focused and take one foot in front of the other. Right. And and I really like one of the quotes that you you mentioned to us tonight, which is and I'll let you kind of say it, mm-hmm. which is about what we've done in the past and what we've done in the and what we're going to do in the future. Oh, oh, oh the mar- the market. Oh, yep, yeah, I, I know exactly what quote you're talking about. The market doesn't care where you've been; they care where you're going and why. The market doesn't care if you graduated top of the class or bottom of the class or the middle of the class. It doesn't matter. They care where are you going, which way are you facing, and why are you facing it. Right. Facing it for 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 money for you know the support of the human animal bond for for what you know what what is it and if as long as that is you know passion driven it's never the wrong answer ever right. and and I'll lastly add on to what you were talking about with finding that why of why you want to be a veterinarian now that I've I'm on the cusp of entering clinics within a few weeks mm-hmm. I did one externship this summer and it totally re-energized me because it re- it reminded me why yes. I'm in this yeah. And it was when I was able to apply all of the quote unquote boring sciences that I've been learning the past two years to putting a face to it and a face both to the client and the animal, it it was totally a whole different ballgame. So that has helped me at least now get through this last little portion of my didactics. But that really resonates with me what you said about why do you want to be a veterinarian? And if Mm -hmm. when you're feeling down and you're feeling like this isn't worth it, I don't want to do this anymore why did I even choose to do this? Right. Think about that. Yeah, and just tapping right back into it. And even if it means you got to go to a, a shelter or call a breeder up and say, listen, I'm about to drop out of vet school. Right. Can I please complain with your puppies? Right. You know, something like that. Even at the veterinary conferences now, they have like pins of puppies you can just go play with. Right. <laughs> so right. maybe part of it, our, of our job is playing with puppies. Right. But for some of those, that's re-energizing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Right. Cool. Well, Dr. Danny, thank you so, so much. I know we've so we flew around a lot of different topics, but perfect for what I what I wanted to talk with you about. So thank you very much. Good. Hope you had a good time in Columbia. I love it. It's fantastic. I just, I, I feel so fantastic coming here again. Good. Well, awesome. I appreciate it. Um, thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, Seth. Once more, I want to thank Dr. Danny McVitie for joining me on the podcast today. If you aren't yet already, be sure to follow Dr. Danny on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere out there. You can find out more about Dr. Danny's business, Lap of Love, at lapoflove.com. And if you're currently in vet school, be on the lookout for when Dr. Danny may be making a stop at your school. And thanks once more to today's sponsor, Live Oak Bank. Be sure to catch Live Oak's education outreach veterinarian, Dr. Jessica Trichelle, as she visits veterinary school campuses and conferences across the country. 
Learn more about Live Oak Bank, their services, and even externships for veterinary students at liveoakbank.com slash vet. And lastly, thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For more resources and information about the podcast, please check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook. You can also connect with me via email at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com. I'd love to hear any suggestions or topics that you'd like to hear us talk about and even reach out if you want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. And if you feel so inclined, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVMs.